What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. Hurricanes, 2-0, baby. Uh, they go into Louisville on Saturday night and win 47-34 to in a meeting of two ranked teams. Uh, I'm Andrew Ivins. That's David Lake. We are going to break down this whole game uh, kind of in a morning after type show. David, are you ready to fire Blake Baker? Because it seems like <laughs> some people, you know, if Miami doesn't win 47-0, apparently it's not, it's not a win. Yeah, we'll get into the defense. Um, you know, I think it was a, a very strong win, obviously. That Louisville team is, I think, going to prove to be for real. I know coming into the game, I was, you know, essentially bashing their defense. And... Louisville's defense played better than I thought they would. Um, and I'll say this. I think they, they tried to force Miami's offense into some uncomfortable situations. And Miami's offense, you know, passed kind of all those tests, in my opinion. We'll get into it here. But, I mean, look, I know it's a weird 2020 COVID season, but – in my mind, like Miami has the most impressive win in this early part of this weird college football season, made a statement on a big stage. That's never a bad thing. Um, I just want to get this out of the way. 2019 Miami loses that game. Um, oh, yeah. I, I don't know how many Tell times. Tell me why. I, There's so many reasons why. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, like, what are the top three reasons well, why? The obvious one is Jose Borregales, 12 points. Right. I mean, he was absolutely money. This is what we thought he was. So, yeah, that's an easy layup one. But there was points in the game where Louisville would score, and I'm like, yo, yes. last year's Miami offense goes three and out with, De- with Dan Enos calling plays, uh, you know, third and right. longs. Um, that happened multiple times. So I think that, that, that's another thing. I don't think, you know, Jaron Williams isn't doing what Derek King did, um, yes. last night. But and let's get into it. So that, I think what you're referencing is that third quarter, right? Cause Louisville came out in the second half, uh, you know, scored, I believe on their first drive, cut the score to one touchdown. Miami's lead was down to one touchdown. And, you know, that's a situation where real teams respond. And, and we saw Miami respond to UAB's scores the week before. Um, and, but doing it against a Power 5 team is a different level. A Power 5 team that can constantly score and come at you during the course of a game, that's another level. So in that third quarter, I mean, let's be real. Like those two 75-yard uh, touchdown plays were beautiful designs by Rhett Lashley. Um, I think he kind of like coming into this year, a lot of national experts were questioning whether or not Rhett Lashley was a good offensive coordinator or not, which I found a little strange because I mean, he, he did run SMU's offense uh, last year and SMU's offense was extremely productive, but anyways, those two plays were all Rhett Lashley. Like he had those plays set up for a certain look that when Louisville showed that look on, on defense, he was going to dial up those two plays. And they, you know, it was essentially two plays, 150 yards to start the second half. And to your point, 
Yes, I'm not sure 20 – I mean, you had the stat, Andrew. How many explosive plays did Miami's offense even have the whole last year, the whole season? Right. So, I mean, to be honest, I, I haven't had time to crunch more numbers more than I like would like this morning, but Miami last season only had two plays go over 60 yards. We right. are eight quarters into a weird 2020, and Miami already has three of them. Obviously, the 275-yard – touchdowns against louisville and then they had what was like a 60 yard gain uh against uab i mean this offense to me is fun it's awesome and like dude if they could get some receivers it would be uh, they would have no problem getting close to 60 points i think so yes if the receivers step up you know which could happen during the course of the year we'll get into that more here but 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 i want to touch on this first it in my opinion, from what we saw in that game, uh, Louisville was dead set on stopping Miami's run, which, which made a lot of sense. Miami came out against UAB, ran for 337 yards, uh, you know, essentially a four-headed rushing attack with the running backs and De'Eric King. Louisville came out in this game from a defensive standpoint and said, okay, De'Eric King, we're not going to let you even scramble. And we're going to do our best to contain the running backs as well as we can. And we are going to force De'Eric King to win the game from the pocket. And De'Eric King showed he can win the game from the pocket. He doesn't need to scramble to move the offense. He made, in my opinion, a few NFL-level throws that, that you see on Sundays. Um, and, and also... We need to credit the offensive line because, uh, you know, going into the game, we definitely made it clear Louisville's defensive line isn't that good. But still, Miami's pass protection was pretty clean during the course of the entire game. I think pro football focus um, graded Miami's starting offensive line as not allowing a single pressure in the entire game. Seriously? So, Yeah. <laughs> the, the offensive line. So the pressures came from Brevin Jordan, Cameron Harris, and then they they assigned two pressures to Derek King for holding the ball too long, I guess. So I've never seen that before from Pro Football Focus when grading a Miami offensive line. All those guys earned 80 grades and above in pass protection. So, um, again – Louisville's defense, which I think was was kind of smart. Like, let's see, is can De'Eric King win the game as strictly a passer? Uh, because people do have questions with King in that regard. Well, he came out and torched him for, you know, 325 yards, I think was the final count. And to your point, with the wide receivers, would have been more and would have been more touchdowns too if there weren't so many drops by the, the receivers. What was your favorite throw of the night from Derek King? I mean, I think it has to be that Mike Harley on the sideline, right? Yeah. Where he's like running to his left and he's like still got to kind of throw it weirdly across his body and he drops it into Harley. I mean, that's like NFL quarterback playmaking ability right there. But, you know, also too, I mean, it was a fairly, I don't know if it was easy, but it was a good placement on the Will Mallory touchdown to open the game, right? It was like a back shoulder placement. 
away from two or three defenders in coverage. And, you know, that placement helped Will Mallory get into the end zone on the play. So, well, and go ahead. That, that was my, that was my runner up, runner up yeah. play for sure. I mean, look, and also Louisville played some soft zones and Derek King showed the ability to throw uh, to the far side of the field from the opposite hash. He showed he had the arm strength to make those throws on a rope when receivers are given, you know, three to four yards of cushion, he could get the ball there. I think there was a play, you know, we'll get into Mark Pope, I'm sure, but there was a play on third, I think in 14 or something. And King throws it from the opposite hash to the far side of the field to Pope. Pope catches it. He, he does get a stiff arm on the corner that is attempting to tackle him. And he just steps out as he's going to get yards after the catch. That play potentially could have been a touchdown. It definitely would have been a larger gain if he didn't step out of bounds. But that throw um, showed that, yes, I mean, Derek King is a small quarterback, but he can make all the throws on the field in a game. I feel bad for anyone who listened to our pregame podcast. I was I was hammering the take the rushing yards over on De'Ara King, and he ends up with yeah. nine yards. And I think there was like a lot along a five. I mean, you're right. Louisville basically said beat us with the passing game, and I think the game plan from the jump was excellent in terms of just getting Brevin Jordan involved. Yes. Um, you know, you always think about Brevin. Uh, if you play the like the NCAA series of football games, he's got that little star on him under him because he's an impact player, and he absolutely was. Um, yeah, on Saturday night, I mean, the hurdle over the defender was unreal. Yes. Like this is when Miami was recruiting him out of Bishop Gorman. Uh, they were, you were expecting this, and I feel like really for the first time in his career, did he kind of not take over a game? He did take this game over, yes, and. You know, they set the tone on the first play of the game, I believe. It was it was one of those little easy balls in the flat to, to Brevin that he has the ability to pick up yards after the catch. And he, I think he got 18 or 19 yards on that first play. And, uh, yeah, I mean, referencing the preview podcast, we did say they're going to have a ton of success running the ball. But we also said this could be a Brevin-Jordan game, right? So that proved to be the case. Why did that prove to be the case? I think when, when you are trying to contain De'Eric King as a scrambler, you have to assign some sort of linebacker level player, so a linebacker, a striker, and in-the-box safety, to essentially be a spy on De'Eric King to, to keep him in the pocket. The problem or the, the pick-your-poison situation you get into when you do that is it opens up some kind of easier passing opportunities to the inside receivers. So the tight ends are the slots and, you know, the tight ends, quite frankly, are probably Miami's best receivers. So if you're going to contain De'Eric King in the pocket with a spy, that's going to open up some receiving easy receiving opportunities for Brevin Jordan. So you know, I think moving forward this season, that's that's going to be something to keep an eye on because I don't know if you can necessarily – I mean, you can try and do both those things, but it's just going to be an extremely hard thing for any defense to do. Um, how good is Jalen Knighton? 
Yeah. How fast did he look on that 75-yard touchdown catch? I know. know. And then someone, one of my buddies who's not even like a Miami fan, he texted me. He goes, dear God, the second gear from Cameron Harris on his long run too. And he's right. I mean, they were also talking about this on the broadcast. Like Cam is supposed to be this power back, but he, the safety had the angle and he just kicked in to an extra gear. Um, Do we give... David Feely credit for that? Like, yeah. what, what, where did well, that come from? I think it's David Feely. And I think we also need just to just credit Cameron Harris because he honestly has improved so much from high school. Like in high school, he was a nice player. He was, he was a good, solid pickup at running back. But he still was, you know, he was a little stiff. Um, and I feel like ever since arriving from high school, He's, he's worked hard at, at, at uh, becoming or adding more wiggle to his game. He's definitely put on some very nice weight in terms of muscle. And like you're alluding to, that second gear, it, it kind of just looked like he was running downhill at like a 3% gradient. He just kind of got faster and faster and faster. And uh, I, I'll be honest, I was surprised he scored on the run, to your point. Um, but yes, I you know, not just Cam Harris, honestly, like Miami in general to me, especially when you watch other games, other college football games around the country, don't they just look like they're in better shape compared to a lot of these other teams playing right now? Yeah. I mean, they do. Like, is it the one tens? Like I I really wish we knew more insight into what like Feely's uh, accelerated get ready for the season strength program was because he seems to maybe be a little ahead of the curve and maybe Miami has a luxury where a ton of the guys were local down in South Florida during the quarantine. Like, I don't think they're inside the facilities, but there are a lot of workout facilities in the area. So I, I've been kind of working, tossing that theory uh, around in my head. Let's get into the receivers. What's, you know, obviously the group didn't play great. Um, need need to be better. Dude, is, is Mark a, is Mark Pope going to get it together? Like, why you say this? I mean, he's your guy. You are the president. I'm an of, apologist. I'm still going to be an apologist today. Like, like, shoot, what do you got? What, can he make anything like look easy? Right. Like, whatever. The easiest thing is so difficult for him. That's the thing that is surprising to me with him at Miami because at the high school level. He did make everything look so easy. And that's why he was so good. Like he just made all these huge plays and it was, you know, they came easy to him. But at Miami that, you know, there's countless examples, but every play just kind of looks a little bit hard or he's a little, you know, things are a little tentative. Um, I will say, you know, I do think it's smart for Miami to try to get him confidence. Yeah, um, and they're trying. And it and they did the yes. same thing last year, but you can see it like the, the light at the end of the tunnel. You, you, you could see him put it all together. It's just like, yes. when is it going to happen? Because, I mean, he led the team in targets. He had 10 targets, uh, only caught four of those balls, had 64 yards. Uh, they credited him, PFF credited him with only one drop. Um, you know, which was a bad one when just hit him, <laughs> hit him in the breadbasket and he dropped it. Um, you know, I would say too, 
the high school Mark Pope, there was like a little shot in the end zone that Derek took, took at him. It was a tough catch. Um, you know, he was one-on-one with a DB. He would have had to win that 50-50 battle. In high school, I feel like I saw him win those battles all the time, though. Yeah. Um, again, I'm not quite jumping off the Mark Pope bandwagon. I've hyped him up, so I think maybe the expectations are a little unfair right now. But I, I feel like the Mark Pope breakout game is going to happen. And when it does happen it's going to start ro- rolling downhill for him because um, once he has confidence, he's going to be a good player for them. I, I still believe that. Again, but also, too, Mike Harley had, had some bad drops, too. Yeah, I think it's, it, was, it was disappointing. Touchdown. They would have, I mean, they would have hit 50 points, right? Um, or, or been close to 50 points if he, if he catches that easy little touchdown in the second half. So, you know, it was, it was the disappointing night for the receivers. I think you could spin it as a positive, like, you know, Miami threw for 325 yards and the wide receivers didn't play good, you know? So like what happens? I I think there is a point to be made that this offense still has another level to achieve and to unlock that level, they need to get that wide receiver position going I think it's fair to to bring up that Jeremiah Payton didn't travel. Well, I, I, here 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 I, I want to do bring that up. So Jeremiah Payton didn't travel because of COVID nineteen. I mean, does he change things for the receiver room? I mean, my takeaway is like this is it, man. This is the group. It's either going to be hit or miss, and it, it's just an average group right now. And I think on paper, maybe Jeremiah Payton is the most talented of the bunch, but I don't know if he makes that big of a difference on, on Saturday night. I mean, you get what I'm saying? Like, yes, I do. under Yes. I, I would say on Saturday night, does he make a difference? I would say probably not. I think the thing Miami needs to hope for best case scenario with this group is that each week they just get a little bit better, just get a little bit better. Like, is this group going to be dynamic at the end of the season and take over games? Probably not, but can they be more reliable? I think that's fair to expect, and right now they're just not reliable. So I think Jeremiah Payton can, you know, he's their fourth receiver, and they rotate a lot of receivers in the game. So I do think he could give them a slight lift, but, like, is he going to emerge as, like, the number one X receiver for this offense in 2020? No. The the strength of this offense clearly is the tight ends, the running backs, and De'Ara King. So it, the receivers, the hope there just needs to be get it to average to above average. And I think even if they can do that, then this offense can still get even better. No, it's – and we – it's like we could take the same audio clip following the UAB game. Like, dude, if you are a receiver – uh, so Brashard yeah. Smith, Romello Brinson, Jacoby George. I mean, heck, like they should go and try to get a fourth receiver now. Uh, if I'm a recruit, I'm looking at this offense. I'm like, damn, I, I'm gonna have a chance to make plays. Um, and, and and David, do you like? I mean, are, do you want to see the freshman at this point? Like Michael Redding had a nice block, I think it was on Brevin. One of, one of the Brevin Jordan catches, I want to say it was yeah. out on the flats. Um, he was never targeted, but 
Are are you calling for Keyshawn Smith at this point? I mean, no, I I wouldn't say that. But I he is the guy I'm intrigued by, to be honest, just because I think he has tremendous speed. And so, you know, can he be a straight up just deep ball guy for for this offense as an outside receiver? I'm intrigued by that question, um, but I'm not necessarily sure he will make an impact this year. Um, I think you're looking at next year for, for these freshman receivers. But again, like if this group doesn't pick it up here in the next few weeks, we're, we're probably going to see the freshman receivers play more just because, I mean, if you're going to get inconsistent play, why not just play the young guys at that point, right? Yeah, let me, especially, let me, especially yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, let me ask you how, how I know you're, the, you're a Will Mallory truther. Um, how impressed were you by his performance? I mean, they, that play that got called back was I know. Like what he does best. I know. I mean, he only had one catch for 17 yards. Uh, but that play that was called back for, what was it, offsides or a false start or illegal formation or shift? Yeah. Or, I don't know. Miami had so many damn penalties. Uh, it's hard to yes. keep track of what they were. But the second – like, I think there's an issue in – I mean, I haven't been at games. I, you know, I'm not there. But you keep seeing tweets and reading and hearing how there's some issue with these electronic whistles where like half the players know what's going on, half don't. Right. So anyways, on that pass to Mallory, um, you know, there were still people treating it as a live play. And he just was breaking tackles, making people miss. I mean, that's what I always thought Will Mallory could be. And I'm just like, right. in my head, it's like flashing 10-9 and, and right. 100 meter dash. I mean, yeah, he, you know, he's, he's, he's going to get there. Um, yes. but that was definitely, definitely encouraging. Yes. That play is now on film and that play definitely makes it. So future defenses have to account for him, which is going to open things up for our other players. So, yeah, I mean, to your point, like, yes, the, the, the play was called dead, but I don't think the Louisville defenders stopped playing. No, so they didn't. No, it, it was a real play. And we saw what type of talent Will Mallory has on that play. So that was cool to see. And then to your other point, yes. The one thing I would probably really complain about on Saturday night from the offense was the penalties, clearly just too many, especially from the offensive line. So, you know, that, that might happen just because it it was the uh, first game on the road. Um, But yes, those do need to get cleaned up. No doubt moving forward. Final thing for me on the offense, I mentioned how 2019 Miami doesn't win this game. Um, want to yeah. circle back to the, the second offensive drive for Miami, which was the night and short touchdown run. Right. Miami hit two big third yes. and long conversions. Uh, first one was, I think, third and 14. It was king to Mark Pope. You know, Pope just kind of found an opening in the defense. Great throw. Uh, and then there was the third and 11 king to Brevin Jordan. Um, that was, to me, was impressive. I mean, Miami finished the night 6 of 13 uh, on third down. So what is that, right below, I mean, over 40%, somewhere in that range. I mean, that's it, it, That's like a story of the game to me. We, we said they got they can't afford to put themselves in third and longs. Um, and when you do, right. and then you can convert multiple third and longs on the same drive, like you're going to be pretty hard to beat. Yes, when Miami can do that, they're going to be hard to beat. I mean, you could say that about every team, I guess. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, D- 
Pierre King to me kind I Louisville's defense isn't great, but he still showed I can win the game from the pocket. And that is no small development for this offense because I mean, again, they showed week one. If you if you force us to have to run the ball to win, we can do that. In we in game two, they showed if you force us to throw the ball from the pocket, we can do that. Essentially the point I'm making is Miami's offense is a nightmare for defensive coordinators to try and contain this year. And, you know, I would probably say moving forward, expect, expect to see more of the Louisville type of defense, uh, you know, forcing Derek King to win the game from the pocket. Uh, but I know after what I saw Saturday night, I feel confident that can be done. All right, quick break. Other side, going to talk about why we would not fire Blake Baker. (laughs) Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, David, Miami gave up. 516 yards, 34 points, 307 yards through the air, 209 through the ground. Uh, your thoughts on that? Because I, yeah. I, have, I, have, I have a good take here, but I'm, I'm going to let you go first. My thing is, look, Louisville has players, right? Like, this isn't a video game where you're playing on rookie mode and you're, you're going to win – 47 to 12. Uh, Louisville has extremely talented players on offense. And sometimes you have to tip your cap to your opponent. Um, Overall, I think Miami's defense played well. I would probably give them a B, maybe a B minus if I'm being harsh. Let's go B minus. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, look, I think in the, in the first half, 
Miami's defense, like what more would you want from them? They, they limited Louisville to six points in the first half. And I believe in the first half, Louisville was 0 for 6 on third down conversions. Um, that's a tremendous start to the game. I would say if you're only judging Miami's defense by the final stats, the final stats to me are a little misleading because, uh, you know, a lot of those passing yards happened for Mikhail Cunningham in the fourth quarter. And so essentially what I'm getting at is those were kind of garbage time stats. He threw 10 of four, he completed 10 of 14 passes for 147 yards and two touchdowns in that fourth quarter. I would argue, you know, the game was a little out of reach. So you got to understand the context of the game. Oh, uh, one, one of the touchdowns like Miami had multiple freshman defensive back on defensive backs on the field. Right. And we could get into that too, but I, I just, let me just get this point out quick. I think Miami's objective, right. Against this Louisville offense um, was to number one, stop the run. Did they do that? No, not really. Javian Hawkins is really good. Uh, the second objective was do not allow explosive touchdowns to happen. Louisville was going to get their yards. Louisville was going to get their points. But Miami's defense needed to make Louisville work for those points. And the longest uh, Louisville touchdown of the game, I believe, was 19 yards. So... In my mind, that's a win. Uh, could Miami have done a better job of containing Javian Hawkins? I guess. I mean, you know, sometimes, again, you got to tip your cap to the other player, like being a very, very, very good player. Javian Hawkins is extremely good. So, again, B minus. Um, and, and when you combine that with the offense that Miami put on the field, that's going to be a very tough combination for any team in the country to beat i'm gonna read some numbers to you okay okay 2019 lsu tigers how how right. i mean were, were they good pretty good pretty good pretty good to texas gave up 38 points two weeks later to vanderbilt gave up 38 points at florida gave up 28 points at alabama 41 points the following week against ole miss 37 points in the college football playoff, gave up 28 to Oklahoma and 25 to Clemson. Uh, there was, let me count, one, two, three times they gave up over 500 yards, including 614 to Ole Miss. Also gave up 457 to Florida. Um, so my right. point is, look, we are in 2020, okay? Yeah, you got to calibrate calibrate and I know it's going to take some time for people to do that because what have what have we seen the past two three seasons under Manny Diaz it is a um you know defense that tries to strangle you and produce negative plays but I think it gets difficult to do when the unit comes off the field and then bam 75 yard touchdown in one play and you're back out on the field bam Again, 75-yard touchdown, you're back out on the field. So, I mean, that's, that's going to be my thing. Look, if you want to push the tempo and score a ton of points, 
there's there has to be some trade-off you're gonna get the yes. other field uh, other team on the field for a lot more snaps um so that's that's Would all i'm take? gonna say and like look there was some mistakes absolutely but yeah 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 you can't have the best of both worlds i mean it's not like people are winning national titles going winning 50 to zero every week and to your point i'm seeing in the in the final box score miami at 60 plays and louisville at 85 plays for the game um Louisville, 6.1 yards per uh, play. Miami, 8.1 yards per play. So, yeah, I mean, and, and also, like, if you, again, if you only look at stats, the garbage time factor is real. And the, that, those LSU stats you rattled off, that's all garbage time. Fat, like, teams were just throwing the ball against LSU in the fourth quarter. LSU is essentially playing prevent or, you know, contain style of defense to make sure the other team doesn't, you know, score an explosive touchdown. And when that happens, the other team's going to pile up yards and probably eventually score. Um, Can I bring up another point? Yeah. Third year in a row, Scott Satterfield has faced the Miami Hurricanes. You don't think he's kind of figured out how to maybe move the ball? Uh, what wrinkles he needs to do against that defensive front. Sure. And also too, like they have good players. <laughs> like, like two, two, I think is borderline first round. I mean, just the, the way the NFL is going with how fast he is with the plays he made, like he is, he's pretty good. I mean, I don't know about Mikel Cunningham, the, the quarterback. Good college JV, quarterback. Yeah. Javion Hawkins is, is good as well. He's NFL. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, here's here's the thing I'll say about them. Like, that trio, Miami's not going to see a faster trio than those three at quarterback, wide receiver, running back. Um, that puts tremendous pressure on your defense every single play. And again, the goal, one of the huge goals was do not la- allow an explosive touchdown. Louisville was unable to score explosive touchdowns. Miami scored three. Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think all the points you're bringing up are fair. I think it's also fair to, you know, maybe say the coverage needs to be a little tighter. You wish the coverage was tighter. But, again, I think it's fair to point out Louisville's receivers, they have three very, very good wide receivers at the college level. Um, I think it's fair to say Louisville beat Miami to the edge a lot on those stretch run plays that did happen. But again, Javian Hawkins, I mean, he's, he's one of the fastest running backs in the country. Um, So this game is not played in a vacuum. The other team has good players too. (laughs) And at times they're going to make plays, but again, Uh, let's highlight some of the players who played well. well, That's it. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say we got we got the stats and me me clearing clearing the air about that out of the way. Uh, Bubba Bolin, dude, that yeah. he uh, he just played his way into the NFL. Um, he yeah. was awesome. What was it? Eleven tackles, nine solo, one tackle for loss. I know he got beat. I think it was on the two like two two made a heck of a catch. Um, oh, he got picked on by Tutu, but like, what do you want Bolden to do? Like, yeah. I mean, the the stat was. He got targeted seven times and allowed seven receptions for like 70 something yards. But again, the matchup is not fair to Bubba Bolden. Like 
no safety in the country can cover Tutu Atwell in man coverage. Um, and, it, and it was, I think, on the opening drive of the game, maybe maybe it was another point where he held, he made that open field tackle, just came oof. down like a missile. And I yes. think Louisville ended up punting. I mean, dude, like he... He took away a lot of first downs from yeah. Louisville. I would yeah. say three or four first downs he took away with open field tackling. Um, like, yes. I, I, we will be watching the NFL draft. I don't know if it's going to be in 2021 or 2022, yes. and they're going to be like, oh, Bubba Bolden, University of Miami. And, like, the game clips they will show are from that game. Yes. Him, it, it was by far his best game as a hurricane. I would say we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but it might be the star is born moment for Bubba Bolden. Um, It was, it was a tremendous performance by him. And again, if, if you have problems with what he did in coverage, it's really not his fault. And, and honestly, I don't fault Blake Baker for, for leaving him in the game in these situations, because the way Louisville's offense works is it puts your defense in a bind where, okay, if you're going to cover Tutu with a little nickel cornerback all game, we're going to run to the edge with Javian Hawkins at that nickel corner all game. Uh, so he better be able to get off blocks well, or else we're going to run the ball even better than we did. Or you leave your safety out there and, and try and limit the run game and you know contain the, pass, the passing game with Tutu Atwell as well. And in my opinion, Miami pretty much did that with Tutu because we saw last year how he can just quick strike you for an 80-yard touchdown. That didn't happen on Saturday night. Um, do you got another? I mean, Zach game? McLeod. Zach McLeod had a bounce back. Like initially, initially on, he did not start off too hot. He got off to a slow start, but I think as the game wore on, he did play better. Do you agree with that? Yes. Yes. So, yes. I mean, look, is he, does he still have, does he still have some areas to clean up? Yes. But it was better that, than he was against UAB. That's a good thing. I think too, I mean, look, the penalties are kind of infuriating with him, but Amari Carter played well. Do you agree with that? Yeah. No, that was a great game of Amari Carter. He, like is he get, does he get profiled by ACC officials or whatever <laughs> officials? That... I mean, I'll say okay. Here's here's one of my Homer takes from the game. Let me just get this Homer take out there. It was interesting to me how when Miami tackled Louisville players on the sideline, flags were thrown, but when Miami players were tackled on the sideline by Louisville, there were not any flags thrown. I, that was just one thing I noticed when rewatching the game. Like there was a few times when Miami players were well out of, not well out of bounds, but out of bounds. Yeah. And anyways, but yeah, Amari, the, the thing that kills me, I, I do think he's profiled. I think that's fair, but like he does put himself in those positions. So, and the, the crazy thing is like, he is, if he's not the most intelligent player on the team, he's one of. And oh, no, like, he is. He is. I mean, and it, it's like, man, like you keep making this say, you keep putting yourself in this position. But well, I think, well, I think the argument in, in even Diaz and Ephraim Bonda get involved, like he 
clearly has read and studied the book where he knows if he leaves with his shoulder, he can do whatever he <laughs> yeah. wants. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was a good reversal. Like that was clearly not targeting. Like, what do you want him to do? Um, can we can we highlight the two transfer defensive ends? Um, I thought they were pretty good. You they know, were Jalen yes. Phillips, Quincy Roche. We expected Roche to to do this, and look, man, they're chasing around a very athletic quarterback. Yeah. Um, but but I thought those guys did well at times in containment. Um, yeah, yeah. To me, did Miami miss Greg Russo on Saturday night? I don't really think they did. Like, I mean, how much more I of think an impact? That's fair. Like, what you know? Don't get me wrong. Love Greg Russo, great player, going to go high in the NFL draft. Like, I just don't know what he does different. I guess. Like, yeah. We, we I mean, kinda... Greg Russo is a better player, but yes, those two guys did make an impact. The thing that that impresses me most about them is their cardio. Like they, 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 their motor. They just play hard all game long. Um, you know, especially Phillips. Like that guy, that guy plays hard every snap. Um, and, and I think the same should be said of Nesta. To be honest, too. Like he runs all game long. Um, he had one super impressive play where he just knocked back. I think it was a guard, like five yards, basically into Hawkins. It might have been. It was either Hawkins or Hall for a tackle for loss, and you know he flashes those freaky plays. I think those three guys up front played really well, and then your boys coming on at defensive tackle. Were you excited? Oh, I thought you were talking Cam Williams, but Gerard Harrison Hunt. Oh my gosh, give me, He's give me some, on. give me some more of that. He had a sack. Two tackles for loss. Uh, did did he get a PFF grade? I had a chance to. He graded up pretty well. Yeah, he was one of their. He was second overall grade on defense. Um, well, I mean, we in in the lead up shows we mentioned how you yeah. need defensive tackles that can run. I don't think Jordan Miller got many, if any, snaps. Um, so that kind of bumped him up in the rotation and. You've been texting me this on the side, and I absolutely agree. I think he'll probably be starting by the end of the year. He yes. is he is something else. J-H-H. That trend. I think in the, in the first, first game, uh, Jared Harrison Hunt had 19 snaps on defense. In this Louisville game, he had 34 snaps. So <laughs> things are trending that way, right? Um, and, you know, I don't know if he'll necessarily start over John Ford, you know, I don't know if they do that, but I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year he's getting more snaps than John Ford. I thought um, Jafari Harvey flashed as well. He, he, he had did. a nice he had a nice rush, and then Cam Williams, like I said, I mean he did. Yes, Cam was nice. Cam's going to be nice. Cam also got more snaps. So against Louisville, he got twenty seven snaps, and I think against uh, UAB it was like sixteen. So you know things are trending there where they're, they're starting to trust a lot of these younger players, which is a good thing. One thing I didn't notice, maybe it was because it was like in the fourth quarter, and uh, you know, by that time I'm trying to write as fast as I can to put stuff on the website, but Isaiah Dunson got in. Did you see that? Yeah. No, I, I, I'm going down the participation report. Isaiah Dunson, Marcus Clark, Brian Balaam, and Chance Williams played. I didn't see chance that happened. Maybe on specials. Maybe credited with the tackle. Okay, Isaiah Dunson supposedly played nine snaps on defense. Brian Balaam played eight snaps. So interesting. I mean, you know, they got it. 
2020, you have to develop your young talent when, whenever you can. What, what was your, let me get your take here too on the strikers. what do you think about how those guys played? Cause this is a, it's kind of a tough game. It's a tough game for the strikers, but it's also a game where you see why Miami is doing this striker position type thing with their defense. I thought there were some growing pains. Um, you know, if Romeo yeah. Finley was there, it probably would have been a lot cleaner. Um, but it wasn't bad. I mean, there's a lot to like about both those guys, aside from Keontra Smith getting a peak right. South Florida penalty for shoving some guy out of bounds. But, yeah, no, I, I thought they were fine. Gilbert maybe a little bit better than I expected. I think he would – yeah. I think Gilbert was solid, you know. It wasn't anything like, wow, but he played a pretty solid game in my opinion. Let's get into the elephant of the room corner. <laughs> oh, man. We we called well, Al Blades. Al Blades, pretty good. I'll get like if Al Blades gives me that game the rest of the season, I'm happy. You disagree with that? No, he was good, but the other two, uh, you know, we called for Takori Couch and Well he, he got yeah. beat a few times, but they were pretty I mean, he was solid in coverage. He was there. Um Yeah, he he lost that fifty fifty ball, right? Um Yeah. I'll, you know, who knows if this is because of, you know, Takori was on the field a bunch because he was playing nickel as well, but Takori played 58 snaps, whereas DJ Ivy, who started, played 33 snaps. So mm. it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues against Florida State. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. Like, yes, you would, you do want to see that group be better. But again, I kind of go back to Louisville has some real dudes at wide receiver. So, you know, and again, through three quarters, Miami's passing stats or pass defense stats would have been good. It's just when Louisville got into chuck it mode in the fourth quarter, they started, they started piling up some stats, which does matter. I'm not going to say that doesn't matter, but it's kind of like a little misleading, in my opinion, about how the whole game went. Yeah, I think at one point, what, Louisville was like 0 for 7 or so on third down? Yeah, I know he started 0 for 6. I don't know if it was 0 okay. for 7. And, and yeah. they converted some fourth downs, but, I right. mean, it's hard to sustain that for the entire game. Um, right. And, I mean, let's let's point out why we're talking about the defense. You know, since 2011, when, when Miami scores 40-plus, they're, they're 30 and 1. Um, right. Yeah. You know. It, you, we got the exciting offense, and I do think Louisville's attack will probably be one of the better ones that Miami sees this season. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's Louisville, it's Clemson, it's North Carolina. Those are the three games where essentially you want your defense to do good enough and, and force field goals at times, which Miami's defense did. And, you know, you, you want your offense to win a shootout, which, which Miami did on offense. So tell me this, and this is kind of unfair and I'm putting you on the spot, but hey, let's do it. If, if Miami plays like this on both sides of the ball uh, for the rest of the season, how many wins does that equal? Essentially, I guess what I'm asking you is, I, I think we agree, like Clemson's going to be a loss. Is that performance good enough to beat North Carolina, in your opinion? Because to me, that's the 
the the one game you look at where it's like, okay, does the defense need to be even better against North Carolina, or was that good enough? I think I think what we saw, they beat North Carolina. But caveat there, you know, you're talking eight games from now. We have right. no idea what the position of that roster is going to be. Right. I mean, I'm saying if, same performance, same yeah. performance. Yes. Hypothetical. I think they beat North Carolina. Okay. I I um, would agree. I would agree. So anything, you know. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, to me, that's encouraging, right? So we'll see if it can continue to build off of this performance. Uh, anything else you want to mention before we turn the page and uh, we just kind of real quickly discuss Florida State? Let's do it. No um, week. <laughs> okay. So Florida State week, it's here. Mike Norvell uh, might not be coaching because he has COVID-19. Uh, yeah. That was announced on Saturday that he's tested positive. I don't know if there's been an update Sunday as of noon on that. Um, weird. Yeah. I, I don't think – I mean, I would expect him to be out, right? Like it's just kind of FSU set protocol that they have with COVID for like – you know, the football program or the athletic department said it. So I think he's going to be out uh, definitely strange, but 2020 is strange. And, uh, you know, you don't want to make like any COVID jokes with, with Mike Norvell. You hope he's healthy, all that good stuff gets through it. Um, But from a pure um, football game standpoint, it's obviously not a good thing that, that a team is going into a huge rivalry game without its head coach. Um, So, you know, FSU was already going into this game, uh, not looking great after the the season opener against Georgia Tech. This kind of just adds to that, right? Like, it does matter that Mike Norvell isn't going to be there. I don't know, man. It's like I – can you pick one one coach in the country that cannot afford more to test pot be the first to test positive besides Mike Norvell? Like it's him, right? He's had a rough twenty twenty. Like it um, just seems like whatever twenty twenty throws at us as a society, Mike Norvell screws up. It's just it's not. It hasn't been great. Um, I don't know how that impacts things. Uh, you know, hot tip inside information. I do know someone at Florida State who's involved in the testing process. They tested all the players on on Friday. So we'll see if maybe more people like test positive. Um, I think there's a chance and I don't want to be that guy, but Uh like, are we sure this game's played on this upcoming Saturday? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think you could say that about every week to be fair, but yes, I mean, it's, it's obviously a bad sign when the head coach of the football program that you're going to play test positive. I mean, the head coach is supposed to set the tone for that football program. And, you know, one of the big keys of this 2020 season is, hey, guys, do the things we got to do to not get COVID. Um, You know, I'm not trying to COVID shame Mike Norvell. It's obviously a highly contagious virus where you could potentially do everything right and still get it. So maybe that's what happened to Mike Norvell. But um, to your point, Yes, I agree. It's it's not exactly a good sign that this game, you know, it could be in jeopardy. We'll see how it goes, though. 2020 is just about being day-to-day. We'll see how, how it shakes out. Um, so, like, like, real quick, just setting the scene, night game at Hard Rock Stadium, uh, college game day is announced. They will be back 
I, I guess they're going to do it from the stadium in Miami Gardens. Like, I don't think they're going to be on location in Coral Gables Probably. like they were for the Notre Dame game in 2018. I'm assuming that's a no, but they're going to be on, on site second week in a row that Miami will be featured on, by college game day. Uh, like I texted you, David, be ready because Miami's now like the toast of the college football world. Tell me this. If, if I was going to make an argument for having it on campus, obviously Miami probably doesn't want to do that because you don't want to attract a crowd, right? Like you don't want a bunch of students congregating wherever game day is setting up. What if, what if Miami said, okay, let's, let's host it on our campus in the IPF? Is that something you'd want to showcase? I think so. <clears throat> IPF or the new dorms in the uh in the background with right. the lake lake backdrop um right. so i am curious i mean you're probably right it probably will be at the stadium but if i'm miami i'd be like hey it might look cool in the ipf we could show that we have decent facilities now etc i hope they do like an ed reed profile but that's like a story for another day um i also want to point out you know the environment at louisville looked kind of uh, not like loud, but there was definitely some, you could tell there was fans you there hear it on the TV. Right. And you know, we didn't see a ton of fans at the UAB game. People are going to show up for Florida state. And more importantly, right. isn't this the game that students are going to be there? No, they said the first two games. So unless they've reversed uh, that. Okay. 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 But when they initially announced it, it was the first two games. And then they said, we'll go from there. So okay, I'm not expecting students to be there. How big of a favorite is Miami going to be over? Ooh, you're, you're the gambling expert here. I mean, is it going to be double digits? To me, that's insane because these games are always close. You know, we know, I mean, 2019 wasn't close, but by and large, like when FSU was rolling with Jameis, those games were always closer than, you know, anyone expected. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily like Miami will be favored potentially by double digits, but I also would not be shocked if the game is closer than everyone thinks just because that's how this series is. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be, I texted you 14 and a half. I could see being the opening line. Um, Insane. You know, maybe it's probably closer to 12. I, I don't think know. you're right though. I think you're right. It's just, I mean, the way the, uh, the way that UCF beat up on Georgia tech, certainly, you know, is to your point that maybe FSU really is not that great this year. Well, I think Georgia Tech is going to be good at, at some point down the line, but yeah. they, they are not the top tier of the ACC. So them going in and beating FSU says uh, a lot. Right. And we'll get into FSU more here in, in future podcasts this week. Um, it's a fun week. I'm sure we'll have plenty on the site leading up to the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, guys, I think this team's going to be fun. Obviously, after that Louisville victory, that's a very good win. Um, let's see if Miami can keep it rolling. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Stay locked to the site. Um, recruiting news never stops. Uh, Gabby had a story up on James Williams yeah. where James Williams was saying he's texting Jake Garcia all the time. So. Ooh stops and i think me and you got a big road trip planned here uh, down the line so we will talk to you guys next time take care